So, you're the guy with the case full of monsters, huh? Use travels first. Mr. Scrander, do you know anything about the wizarding community in America? We don't let things loose. Hey, Mr. English guy, I think your egg is hatching. You wiped his memory, right? The no magic. The what? No magic. The non-wizard. Sorry, we call them muggles. Hello and welcome to the Electric Shadows podcast with me, Rob Daniel, editor of electric-shadows.com. As always, I'm very pleased to say I'm joined by my learned colleague, Mr. Rob Wallace. And as always, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Editor of of all the film sites.com, which you should check out as well. And uh, yeah, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Moving through the intro very, very quickly because it is now 20 to 1 in the morning. And Rob and I are going to suffer for our art and tell you what we think of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which we saw tonight. And we have a few things to say about it. So, Rob, without further ado, would you, as your, I think, the Harry Potter expert who brings the magic of the two of us, uh, would you like to give an intro as to what Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is and how it fits into the Harry Potter verse? Um, yeah, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is the uh, the first film in the newly expanded Harry Potter universe. It, it takes place roughly seventy years before the events of the original films. Uh, this one concerns the travails of one Newt Scamander, who wrote uh, a textbook. Later, goes on to write a textbook called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which uh, makes an appearance in the Harry Potter books. In this, he's visiting New York with nineteen uh, twenties New York with a suitcase full of illicit creatures. And things go a bit wrong. Magically so. Magically so. I'd be, uh, I'd, it would be very peculiar if that wasn't the case. It's like, <laughs> I just got really tied up on it in immigration. Yes. And I had lots of... Pa- it's just him filling up paperwork for two hours. It is, and it's like... And for some reason, his wand won't work in immigration. They seem to have built a lead-lined wall or something like that. So, and, and, um, and so he's you just put in a solitary confinement because they think he's got TB. Yes, that's right. So, uh, so but he he basically spends six months in a room on Ellis Island. It's just basically, just at... that scene from The Godfather Part Two. Indeed, the entire film, which I thought was a bold move on yeah. the filmmaker's part. Um, that probably didn't happen. Uh, this is, of course, yes, the new blockbuster from J.K. Rowling, who um, presumably was J.K. Rowling in money from all the money that Warner Brothers gave her to do another Harry Potter series. Uh, Which I don't... you can't, yeah, you can't hold against her because then she gave probably the lion show of it to charity and bumped herself off the billionaires list. Yeah, we do like J.K. Rowling. She, um, yeah, she gives tons of money away, and yes, as you said, left of the three comma club um, to just basically be a nice person and uh, and also her tweets are, are better than most people's books so um, so good for JK it does mean that she'll never make it in politics because we all know that you have to be a billionaire and in, an arsehole and an arsehole <laughs> and she seems to be quite a decent person so yeah she's screwed when it comes to politics but um, and also interestingly and we'll get to this in a bit but this this script is written by her as well, and of course, I don't think any of the Harry Potter films were screen written by her. No, I think it's her first screenplay, and it's a, it's a sole credit. It is a sole credit, yeah. She... So, if anybody did rewrites, they did uncredited rewrites. Yes, and it will be interesting to see 
if anyone was brought on board to uh, to shape it up or something like that. So actors in the film, we have Eddie Redmayne, Oscar winner Eddie Redmayne as Newt Scamander, which that name because it should be presumably um, at one point was Newt Salamander or something like that. I thought, but anyway, Scamander just seems like an odd an odd surname. But anyway, yeah. So <laughs> I do digress. We have Catherine Waterston. Um, Daughter of Sam, uh, right? Yes, uh, she. Uh, I think her, probably her biggest credit to date may be Inherent Vice. Yes, which I haven't seen, but I'll have to check out. Which is also Steve Jobs' wife in the oh, uh, Steve, in, 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 of course, I film, um, and she plays Tina, who is a. Well, she's kind of a a magic detective isn't she she kind yeah, of keeps the magic world in order she's like on the police force for magic she works for like wizarding congress i think i think, I think that's what it's called right. which is uh, the american equivalent of the ministry of magic right okay that's um it is good that you're here i have read all the harry potter books i've actually seen all the harry potter films as well and i have not retained it as well as you um so there's eddie and there's Catherine, and there's dan vogler who is the well, he's a muggle, but they have a different name in America, don't they? No Madges. No Madges. Which I thought the first time I heard it was Nomad, and I thought, well, that's interesting. Why are they called Nomad? Oh, no, it's actually Nomad. Oh, but they're really, um, Warner Brothers is really committing to the term Nomad, as in, like, they phase the word muggle, muggle out of all the rest of the, their promotional materials. They are really, they're like, no, it's Nomad now. That is the. That's so weird. It's so weird that J.K. Rowling would allow that to be the case that you can't say muggle. Um,. Well, I mean, the word muggle gets said in the film. It does, but, yeah. But I think yeah. it's just, yeah, in general usage. Because that's the thing, they, they've basically transplanted Harry Potter to the States. Yes. Which, which if you're going to be cynical, you could say they were always going to do, because Britain is the smaller audience. Yeah, and, and there's, it didn't there's stop more it gold from, yeah. to... Yeah, it didn't stop it from making billions, but there, there's there's more billions to be had um, for JK's giveaway. So, yes... So I suppose it's like kind of yeah, we say path and they say sidewalk, we say muggle, they say nomad. Fair enough. Uh, so yeah, he is a nomad called Kowalski, who through some contrivances bumps into Eddie Redmayne and is dragged into the world of magic and is amazed by what's going on. Um, Which was more than that's that save the the criticism and the, yeah, let's continue. Yeah, we'll to say, yes, we will say. Um, and there's Samantha Morton as kind of the baddie of this film. She seems to be um, a puritanical protester, a bit like Mary Whitehouse, against. Because she seems to I mean, be less evil than Mary Whitehouse. Less evil than Mary Whitehouse. She only hits children. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so. One thing about this film was so she is it kind of acknowledged that there might be magic in this film because everyone seems to know that something weird is going on. All the no matches seem to seem to have an inkling. That something odd is going on, and or is it that she's trying? Or so she knows Samantha Morton's character, Mary Lou, knows that something's going on, and she's trying to bring it to the wider world. Well, I or? think everyone's vaguely aware, but she, she being sort of a fundamentalist, um, and let's, 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 call, let's call her a nutter. Let's be, yeah, um, she's a nutter. Ha, has uh, sort of seized upon that as being far more. You know, everyone else is kind of just getting on with it because uh, Gellert Grindelwald, the dark wizard who preceded Voldemort. Uh, it has been, you know, um, wreaking havoc, terror, you know, all across Europe, and has promptly vanished. Yeah. And uh, like in one of the Harry Potter books, 
I think it might be uh, Half-Blood Prince, there's a scene that takes place between the Prime Minister and the Minister for Magic, which implies there's some sort of collusion between the two, and that there is the possibility, you know, people are, uh, muggles or nomadges are vaguely aware of the, of what's going on, and that there's an active effort to, to kind of suppress it. Right. But obviously seeing there's, you know, Grindelwald's out there blowing things up magically, uh, it's become more difficult at this point, so it's a bit of a turbulent time. Uh, you know, as you'd expect, you know, shortly after the end of the First World War. Yes. Well, this is 1923, 1924? Yeah, like, yeah, 24, yeah. Yeah, so um, presumably the next one will touch upon the Great Depression in some form. Yes. Yeah, you'd think so, yeah. Which will be interesting, because it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting period of American history. There's a, a nice reference to Prohibition in there as well. As, um, as So John Voigt plays a... He's like a newspaper magnate who um, is a cross between Joseph Kennedy and William Randolph Hearst, and they're a, a big society function. And I think someone mentions the fact that they have got the poison of alcohol out of the land, and you suddenly realise that they only have tea and coffee and water on their tables. And I thought, oh, that's a nice touch. There's there's some yeah, yeah there are some some nice moments in in this film. But anyway, so quickly back to just round off the cast and um, and who's doing what. So uh, Colin Farrell. So Colin Farrell, who is the he's kind of the chief of police, isn't he? Yeah, he's Graves, the, uh, the 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 sort of uh, chief aura. Yes, Auror, A A U R O R, sort of yeah, the magical, the wizarding police. Yeah. Um, there's also Ezra Miller, who plays uh, a character called Credence, who is this sort of very downtrodden, repressed orphan boy of somewhat ambiguous age yeah I was I was thinking how old he was supposed to be I kind of thought he was supposed to be around about 16, 17 so kind of late adolescence uh, yeah so him and his two sisters so there's modesty um, and chastity presumably named by Mary Lou because Mary Lou is their is their guardian um, played by and see, modesty is played by Faith Wood Blagrove and chastity is played by Jen Murray and I yeah I kind of got they were brother and sister but there seemed to be it, it, again it would be interesting to see if they do a longer cut of this film because I think that seems to be one of the subplots and we'll the get, film spreads itself quite thin it does and we'll get on to kind of um, the story but that seems yeah you're right it did spread itself thin and that seemed to be one of the things where there were things that were cut out of it and Tina has a sister called Queenie played by Alison Sudol who the direction she was given was presumably well, your your Marilyn Monroe. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it was like imagine if this film was made during the fifties, they would have got Marilyn, and that is who's your you're Marilyn Monroe, but also Luna Lovegood. Yes, and that's the that's a really good segue into this is a new Harry Potter verse, but it's kind of the same Harry Potter verse because, as you pointed out after the film, it's like okay, so we have this lead chap who's kind of awkward and he's, he's very capable but um, he doesn't he seems out of his depth he's literally out of his depth he's out of his country so uh, he's adventurous and he's a, yep he's adventurous but he's a stranger in a strange land he is helped by a girl or here a woman who knows all the rules and is kind of exasperated with him and his other, and their other friend the sort of slightly baffled comic relief, and it's yeah, it's interesting. I mean, if you you can look at it and almost say that they've aged, you know, the central three, well, the four including Luna of Harry Potter, 
uh, they've aged with the audience because I, I, yeah. I, I was when the first film came out I was the same age as Harry Potter as, you know, as, as, the, as the cast the young cast um, and now I'm probably still I'm roughly the same age as the cast now yes indeed um, so you're mid twenties yeah. and um, yeah and that's the and Eddie yeah Eddie Redmayne's probably about 26, 27 yeah. something like that it's, um, yeah so with, yeah. His, with his one Oscar his one Oscar nom yes indeed it's, uh, so he's doing alright for himself um, but of course we shall get on to Eddie Redmayne in in a bit because well there's actually quite a lot to talk about this film and there's a lot of plot in this film so as you said there's the whole Grindel Grindelwald I will learn how to say that subplot that, that kind of simmers and there's this um, suggestion that a big bad is coming you have Mary Lou and the whole puritanical thing there and sort of New Salem and then you've got um, Newt and the escape, escaped beasts yeah, because that actually is that takes up a lot of the plot in terms of he's got a suitcase that's full of these beasts. Suitcase opens, some of them escape, and he has to spend quite a bit of time getting them back into the suitcase. And then at the end of the film, he 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 suddenly discovers a uh, if not a remedy, then a, a neat preventative measure that he apparently just never thought of before I mean it, it, the film takes you know takes you know pains to point out that he never finished he, he never finished his formal education despite despite the efforts of one Albus Dumbledore um, but it's not, it's not he's, he's a bright boy and it's not the hardest way to as you said introduce a preventative measure I mean he's a zoologist so <laughs> yes it's um, and yeah, so the film spends a lot of time with these quite cute animals and there's some very interesting scenes that happen which we will talk about. And there's there's a lot going on in this film. But let's get on to you know, what we liked and what we thought were issues. So I would say one of the issues is that J.K. Rowling is, I think we can all admit, is a very good writer. And she's written a series of books that were quite popular. Um, and I think that the third Harry Potter book, The Prisoner of Azkaban, is, is a genuinely great book. I would say that she kind of falls into the trap that, um, what's his name, the No Country for Old Men guy. Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, did with um, that weird Brad Pitt film that. Oh, The Counselor. The Counselor, that it's like, it's different writing a book in your style to a, to a screenplay. And as we all know, JK does like to particularly in the latter Harry Potter books, like to have lots of stuff going on, lots of subplots. They all come together and they all yeah, tie up quite but nicely. Not satisfying. No, not satisfi- yeah, I mean, in the, especially in the case of, I um, mean, let's say, um, the, this uh, Shaw Senior, the John Boyd character, I mean, you've got, to, you've got to assume that he was told you'll have a bit part in this and a much bigger part to play in the later. Gemma Chan as well, who's in who's in it, she's a, a member of the wizarding ministry and yeah, she gets a couple of lines, but I think it's here it's a case of, well you're a writer who you know, when you're writing novels can have lots of things going on, lots of moving parts and it all is is a satisfying whole as you read it a script, I just feel there was a lot le- that was left on the cutting room floor here and a lot of subplots are kind of half formed in this and a lot of character development is it's there, it's not that anyone seems to act out of character or is there and gone, but it just seems as if there were, yeah, a lot of the of the rich stuff I think was taken out of this film to bring it down to a still quite chunky two hours, twenty minutes 
Um, yeah, and to be honest, I was watching this film at the beginning thinking, I this film is kind of searching for a plot. There are certain things that are being set up, so it opens up with something quite spectacular, and there's a crime scene where uh, something odd has happened, and then something magically quite destructive happens, and there's and then we get Newt arriving, and he's yeah doing all all his things as he's wandering around New York with his with his animals and his wand out with his wand out, and um, and we get Tina, and she's introduced, and there's lots of things that are happening, and I thought, but what is the plot of this film? Why is all this stuff happening? And it kind of did cohere into a story, I'd say about. A th- halfway through but if we have to be picky I'd say the plot was a bit weak yeah it does it's the issue of stakes it's you know it's the idea that causes has to be the has to be a massive blockbuster uh, and it's bit and it's designed it's built to be you know it's not this is and this is not unlike the Harry Potter books this was you know this isn't an adaptation of a well, it is an adaptation of a pre-existing book but that's a, it's an adaptation of a textbook very svelte textbook that J.K. Rowling wrote as a tie into the Harry Potter universe. I think for children, I think it might have been for children in need years and years and years ago, like no. about, a dec- about a decade ago. Um, and yeah, they it feels like they need, they wanted to use that as the basis for this the, for, for a film for a further franchise. Um, but they needed to get all the Grindelwald stuff and all the political stuff surrounding it, but it just doesn't cohere. It's just all these little things running on, you know, all these tangents. And yeah, it just never really adds up to what you hope it might. There's no satisfying. I, mean, I think my, the, the, the part I was most most invested in it is in the relationship between oh, what's his name, uh, Queenie and comic relief man Kowalski. Uh, Kowalski. Yeah, because that's because it's really quite sweet. It and, is, and. And it's also one of those things where, because she does look a bit like Marilyn Monroe in, yeah, the way this is made up to look a bit like Marilyn Monroe. And yeah, Dan Fogler is a, he's a big lad, <laughs> but he's not, but he has like a handsome charm to him, I think. And it's one of the, the strengths of the film that it it does sell that that she is this incredibly enchanting woman. He's like this quite short, um, you know, round guy, and you think, yeah, I could completely buy you two, because you have a real chemistry and, like, a real fizz to your relationship. It wasn't enough of that, I didn't think, and I and I think that, yeah, you're right, the stakes, I think there was a lot of things going on here that should have been introduced in the next film. There's a lot of backstory that seemed to be half-formed about past dealings with the Ministry, and all, like, yeah, the whatever... What's it called again? The New York one? Is it the Ministry of Congress? Congress. Congress. Magical, yeah. Congress, Magical Congress, yeah. Which sounds like of... something entirely different. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it really does sound. <laughs> yes, there was... Yes, a Magical Congress was not had in this film. Um, <laughs> so... Oh, it was. Well, it almost was. It almost was. So let's talk about that after we talk about... Um... Actually, let's talk about it now. There is a moment in this film where a man is almost fucked to death by a Magical rhino by a magical female rhino who is um, quite taken with a musk he accidentally puts on himself, and it's a big chase scene through um, out of the Central Park Zoo and across Central Park, and it's all quite funny. And and um, yeah, Kowalski is the guy who is yeah being 
he's been lusted after. But you're kind of aware that you know what the st- in, the stakes in that are so specific, <laughs> and they are quite high compared to it's like I, I am much more invested in in the stakes in this because. As as you said, are we about to see someone get to death by a magic rhino? <laughs> it's like, yeah, this film has taken a bit of an odd turn. Because there's a moment where, um, where you know, there's sort of you know, the the rhino it, it gets a close up, and it has a look in its in its eye. It's got a twinkle in her eye. It's got a twinkle in her. She's got a twinkle in her eye. And it's like. Oh wow! Okay, we're committing to this. Yeah, and it's like okay, I am genuinely interested in your film now. Um, this seems to be going somewhere that the original Harry Potter films <laughs> never went. And okay, and of course, I mean, that it, well, it, it, it does depending on what, what you read into the uh, the centaurs. There's a whole thing there. Oh, is there? There's some let's, crazy fan fiction that I haven't read about uh, about that. Um, yeah, so that was an interesting moment, and I thought, yeah, that's kind of... It's a bit different from the other moments in this film, because this does seem very much like a... We need to give them a Harry Potter-esque film, and we need to have... We need to lay the groundwork, so they'll come back for the sequel, and we need to do all these different things, and the one thing I think that they forgot to put in there was some magic dust, to be honest. There wasn't... Yeah. There was some really n- nice moments in this film. You've got, like, the pilfering platypus... The pilfering platypus is is a really good point. As he's the and I thought that was going to be the only creature that he got with him, but of course it's um, whole menagerie. The title was like yeah, suggests different, but there is a pilfering platypus type creature who just loves shiny, shiny and gold, um, and just keeps going around like you're yeah, nicking the stuff, and they keep having to try and get him, but he's quite sprightly. I thought that the platypus really lifted the film sometimes. That bit when they see it in the jewelry, when it's in the jewelry stop window, and it's kind of pretending to be an ornament or something. I thought, yeah, see, you, there is some amusing stuff going on in this film, but um, a lot of it is quite safe and ordinary. There wasn't a really big scene where I thought this is going to blow me, this, yeah, that completely blew me away. And I thought there would be. I thought there would be at least one scene where it's like, wow, okay. I I was also. Annoyed at the inconsistent ap- rules at, with, as, with regards to magic, because you know you need to say you know um, expelliarmus to blast air out your wand, and you need to say lumos in order. <laughs> yes, you do need to say that, <laughs> and you need to. Uh, I, fa- I found it helps. Yeah, um, you need to say lumos in order to you know make light appear, but you can bait, throw a car or you know r- repair a building or. You know, cook a meal by just kind of waving it, and everything will just get set in motion, which implies that that's presumably a very complex spell or series of spells. It's like this just feels inconsistent. Yeah, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of the, as you said, of what's it called again, the flu powder or something. Yeah, just you know, well, yeah, um, you how, know, how they travel basically, how you can travel around the world and. You travel by chimney. Yeah, you throw flu powder in the in a fire. The fire turns green. You pass through. You arrive at the flu port on the other side. You could use a port key, which is when you turn an object into an into basically um, a teleport. You know, you touch it and then you get carried wherever. It so it gets pr- prominently used in the Goblet of Fire. Right. Um, and then and there's, there's lots of disapparating in this film, mm. which is basically when you teleport somewhere else. And it was and I liked. I thought that the effect of that was good because people sort of like kind of spun into a vortex and disappeared. You could almost say they you know, disappeared up themselves if you were being 
not very kind, but I thought the effect of that... But it's the same effect as in the original Harry Potter series. Oh, is it? It is. Oh, I do not remember that. Um, oh, okay. Well, it, well, you know, I'd say this as well then. Um, but I thought it was... It was good when they were like you know, running, and then they would do it mid-run. And I liked the fact that the um, Tina character always seemed to jump into the air when she did it, almost like she was taking off. And it was yeah, so there was some nice things like that. But there were there are some big action set pieces in this film. But I thought uh, just not involving. They're me, just I'm not offering anything particularly new or interesting. It's just you know the wholesale or in part destruction of a city. That you know, we're talking, we're talking about quality, mm. and I think we came to the conclusion that this film's in terms of where it sits because it's been a bit of a di- disappointing year for blockbusters. Yeah, so this is yeah. So we were talking when we left because I think we both left thinking, okay, that was adequate. But mm, and actually, I think that you you may have been a little bit you know, uh, more disappointed than me just because you yeah, know the Harry Potter universe so much better than I do, and I was thinking, oh, okay, that was fine as a as a blockbuster but um, and then we're talking about you know, where does this sit in what has been a very very disappointing year for blockbusters where we've had absolute shit and we've had adequate and we've not really or I think I think that um, Civil War is the only really standout yeah. and you said it was like somewhere in the region of X-Men Apocalypse and that's what it is it is the X-Men Apocalypse of the Harry Potter films and which means, yeah, fine. You watch it going like this is fine. It's Except this film doesn't have a, a doesn't have as memorable a moment as memorable and ill considered a moment as when as going to Auschwitz and using your mutant powers to destroy the symbol of Nazi. I mean, this film's essentially got Wizard Hitler in it, yeah, or the man got, who will become Wizard Hitler. Yeah, it's got Wizard Hitler in it, but there's nothing that compares to that moment. I would say other than the bit where the magic writer almost puts the guy to death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a scene that you're watching, going like I can see as a kid. Yeah, as a kid, that I, I I just wouldn't get that. I think I know the rhino just is just chasing him. But as an adult, you're like, okay, they've just put some sort of pheromone on, and it's clearly going for. What? So how is this going to end then? Because I thought there was going to be a moment when it just gives him like a big lick or something like that, almost like a kiss. But it was like no, that the implication there was there's going to be. Um, <laughs> A magical congress, and um, it's going to be the reverse of the scene in uh, Ace Ventura: Nature Calls, where Ace Ventura crawls out of a rhino's butt. Yes, a it's, fake rhino's butt. It's going to be the like the the that that played that sequence played in reverse. It's actually going to be like Grimsby. It's going to do a Grimsby, and it's <laughs> so, and it's going to get very very scatological um, on a on a wildlife level. I mean, they, they, um, they can't have that... Gynecological. They can't have that as a level in the video game version, because if you fail that level in the video game version, you're just getting... <laughs> Although I think that lots of people will... Deliberately. ...purposely <laughs> fail that, so they can just, see what happens. Yeah, that was the most memorable bit of the film, the fact that there was almost this um, horrific <laughs> sex scene... That, uh, interspecies break. Interspecies. <laughs> That's a thing that didn't happen in That's this film. But that's a phrase I didn't think I was going to have to mention in like, this podcast. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so moving swiftly on. Um, good points about this film. I thought that, that New York looked very good. Yeah, New York. I mean, it's very. It's got a very Christmassy vibe. 
and there's lots of snow on the ground. Yeah, and it does, and there's are a, um, a couple of Father Christmases and things like that. I thought there was there should have been more you know, decorations and stuff, but the but the look and the recreation of the of old New York, I thought actually was was really quite. Quite impressive, and they played into the Art Deco. You know, they and, did, yeah. and they kind of got some wizarding speakeasies, and yes, that's right. Yeah, they were. Yeah, so there was some good world building to use that horrible phrase. But do you think that Dan Fogler is man of the match in this? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, he's got he he's he does have this sort of baffled charm about him, and as you know, as New says at one point, you know, you're somebody you're you're very just earnest. You know, happy guy, and people clearly like you. And the couple of moments he gets, like you know, um, a few sort of hysterical shrieks in it. Yes, yeah. is that actually? No, I was brought that because uh, that is yes, it, it was funny, and it is actually worth seeing that without knowing that it's coming. And Colin Farrell, I thought, was good as well. Yeah, I, he, does, he doesn't get a lot to do. He gets a fairly pretty rote, but yeah, he get he gets to he's Colin Farrell. He's, yeah, and he and he does his yeah his menace quite well, I thought, and. Yes, what's her name? The uh, the woman who plays Queenie, is it Alison Sudol? Yeah, she's... Um, yeah, she's fine. I actually, and yeah, you were saying that you thought that um, Catherine Waterston was underused, and I think you're right. I think she was. I mean, she had action set pieces you could call, and I thought that she was, and I like the fact that she was um, cast because she was clearly someone who was very, yeah, her character is very bookish and you know, straight laced, and she really has that sense about her. And but I yeah I think that hopefully she should un- be given, underserved. She'll be given something more to do in the next film. Um, and then we have the Red Main, and oh, I, I just I don't know about Eddie Redmayne. I'm still to be sold on him. I think I thought he's an actor who has his ticks and his acting traits and the kind of like yeah the looking from under the eyes in like a shy and bashful way that we saw in beginning of the theory of everything and the Danish girl and he seems to be doing that in this and it's like I think you might need to change the record a little bit Eddie because uh, I'm not saying that you go full on Jupiter ascending but at least you were doing something different in that film and this in this film I just thought his newt was a bit of a wet and he just needed to he just wasn't the most interesting character to follow around in this world no, and it's yeah, it's like making making uh, Redmayne making interesting career choices. You know, he's obviously he's had the he's had the Oscar and he's had the Oscar nom, and now he's going for the big blockbuster. Yeah, having having also you know made Jupiter Ascending. I, yeah, I don't know. He can't, he's almost kind of treating it. Oh, this is me being sick, a bit like a popularity contest. What do you mean? As in, like he's like. But I've done the prestigious films. Now I want to do the blockbuster, so they'll, so they'll, you know, the the, the big family family friendly blockbuster, so they'll love me for that. See, I, yeah, that's it's interesting that because you think, well, why, why don't we've I, had yeah Doctor Strange um, with Benedict Cumberbatch, and you could argue that's the same thing. You have an actor who does the big you know, prestigious roles, and then he's doing something that is incredibly mainstream, as mainstream as you can get. But I thought the Cumberbatch handled that better I thought he just seemed to be able to enter you know the world and just be a bit just add a bit of muscle to it we, sa- we sound like a nagging mother like, I do it's like why can't Eddie. you be more like Benedict why can't you be more like Benny 
Eddie, we've talked about this before. You need to be a little bit stronger in these films. So, um... but, but mother, I, I did. I won the Oscar for Theory of Everything, and I got a nomination for the Danish Girl. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that doesn't matter anymore. Uh, we have the Oscar now, and now we need the blockbuster. <laughs> yes, mother. They'll, 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 they'll see. They'll say. He, he, he wouldn't hurt a fly. <laughs> <laughs> that is um, probably not how it goes in the red main household. Um, that's just probably a little bit of spitballing. Mother in a chair in the basement, giving him um, critiquing his career choices. Um, now I let you when I let you go off and do it on your own. You come back with Jupiter ascending, and we all saw how that happened, how that worked out. It almost cost you the Oscar, Oscar if you if you were to believe the internet. Um, again, it is it is now sixteen minutes past one, so um, <laughs> I think this is the fatigue talking. There were and actually to on that point, there were a couple of moments in this film where it's like. It's not holding my interest, and I am a bit tired. Um, like, come on, come on, let's uh, let's wake up. Um, and do you know what? I am surprised that they chose David Yates to direct this one because he directed the last was it four Harry Potter films, something like. So he really shaped how that series looked and and felt. So why bring him into this new one when he presumably you'd want a new vision and like a new creator? Because he's reliable and presumably quite cheap. And a safe pair of hands. Yeah. Because it seemed a bit, I don't know, anonymous really, kind of visually and structurally. It was, it just seemed as if we have to have another Harry Potter film and this is as pretty much as kind of like a standard as you could. It feels like it's you know replacing sort of leaning too heavily on costume design and architecture Mm. as a kind of substitute for any real directorial style it's like because because you know this this is you know we're creating this wonderful wizarding world and it does and you know as long as I'm I'm sufficiently swooping and I capture it all and you know then that will kind of do most of the heavy lifting for me. Yeah, and everyone would yeah that's right and everyone would just look at the at the effects and all the creatures that the guys in the effects department have created and and I just need to make sure that everything is captured within the frame. And Ron Perlman is in a scene under some heavy mocapping, but you but you can never you know, miss that voice. Um, and I was thinking, well, wouldn't it? What would if they'd have given this to Ron's friend Guillermo del Toro? What would that film have been like? Um, because Hellboy Two, Hellboy Two, which was good. I liked yeah, it. no, 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 it was good. <laughs> I, no, that wasn't. That was a reason. I was just saying it would have been like Hellboy Two. It would have been like Hellboy Two because you think, well, this is a guy who who loves monsters, and all his films are about monsters and and beasts and creatures. They and... must have moved to doing giving it to del Toro. Yeah, yeah. And you think, well, but you have all the directors. I mean, there isn't really a director who's going to turn this down. And I know that Spielberg famously turned down the first Harry Potter film because he said, well, to be honest, let's see, I'd just turn up and do my thing and it would just happen, wouldn't it? And I, yeah, but do I want to do that? And do they want me to do that? And so they gave it to Chris Columbus, who basically just tried to ape the Steven Spielberg style anyway be thinking well was this offered to Spielberg would he have been interested in this one is it's a bit different it's Harry Potter in you know, 1920s America and bring, bring uh, Curon back yeah indeed yeah if you're going to bring back a, yeah, 
Absolutely, if you want to bring back um, a Harry Potter directorial alumni, then um, then yeah, bring back uh, Alfonso Cuarón or his mate Willem del Toro, who has got a proven track record with making films that are really good that have got fantastic beasts and he knows where to find them. I'd say any director other than David Yates because it's like, yeah, you're a safe pair of hands, but... Thinking of other directors who, who've shot New York beautifully. Um, uh, Todd Phillips, who did Carol. <laughs> yeah, Todd Wilbur, could you imagine that? I think I don't think he would have given the audience what they wanted. Um, would have given me what I wanted. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, some of it reminded me of Peter Jackson's King Kong uh, is in that, the early scenes. Well, also in the later scenes because there's a scene yes, on the ice. Absolutely, that is it is almost you know I, was, I I might even be exactly the same spot. You know I don't know whether that spot actually exists, but the you know it that, is it, it's near the bridge. It's the um, yeah. it's the lake near the bridge. Yeah, yeah, where King Kong has the moment with yeah do, does that sort of a little bit of ice skating. Yes, indeed. Which is a. I don't know, it's one of those scenes that first time you watch it, you go like, oh, and then you watch it again and go, that's so stupid. It this film the, does not hold up. It wasn't the planes, it was beauty that killed the beast. It was the planes. It was the planes. Did you right. not see the amount of bullets <laughs> they fired into him? They basically shredded him to pieces. <laughs> Only his mum would recognise him now. And also, yeah, beauty. Um, <laughs> and everyone else, because he used to a big monkey. <laughs> right, do you think do you think they got Mrs. Kong in her, like, pink floral dress and a and no, a Sunday hat. Uh, Sunday hat to go in and, and they and they had that you know the uh, the sort of the big screening window and it's like they were, and they rolled up they rolled up the play they rolled up the, they rolled back the biggest mortuary blanket in the world went, that's that's my son that's my son I tried to warn him I tried to warn him that he should stay at home and not go to the big city There's or, a, there is a lesson for us all there. Or they, or they came down. They come down on the uh, the freight elevator, and you've got you've got his his the King King Kong dad. See how they massacred my boy. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what they did to my boy. <laughs> I don't want his mother to see him like this. <laughs> anyway, so I feel that we're straying a little bit from from Harry Potter, but there is magic here. Um, so um, I, think, I think we've covered. I mean, apart from maybe. The, yeah, indeed. And should we talk about that? Well, let's touch upon it. Yeah, let's touch upon it. Okay, right. So, um, so, and I am going to say, I just cannot remember if if there's another E at the end. Is it Grindelwald? Grindelwald. Grindelwald. Okay. Gellert right. Grindelwald. Grindelwald. Um, so Grindelwald, yeah, is, but it has been revealed in it's, all the press and stuff like that. It's in, it's in the press. Uh, if you don't want to know... <laughs> yeah, I think we, we are going to give like a bit of a spoiler, even though that spoiler is all over the press, and everyone seems to know that there this person is in this film. And I knew this, but I actually forgot that he was in it until he appeared. And thought, oh yeah, he is in it, isn't he? Um, so if you don't want to know, then probably stop now and come back when you've seen the film, because there will be some other yeah, jokes about yeah, rhinos and monkeys to come. I'm sure. Um, yeah, so. That was a big spoiler alert. We'll give you a few seconds to press stop on on what it is that you're listening to it on. What okay. were you sorry? <laughs> so I was doing the watching. I was doing the countdown thing. <laughs> so anyway, Johnny Depp is in this film as Grindelwald and pudgy albino, pudgy albino hair, 
Mordecai mustache, David Bowie eyes, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Like, he's fine. It's, 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 it's he's such, not. He's uh, not. I mean, like no, he himself, he he, it's it would be impossible to fuck that up because he's in it so little. Yeah. But it's like you, uh, who make up Johnny? Do a performance that involves doing do something for like the fucking Dogma guys. Yeah, indeed. Where they won't let you get away with shit. I thought there was some casting in this film that happened before people went mad. Like John Voight, I presume he was cast before he endorsed Trump. I don't think that uh, maybe that J.K. Rowling would have had something to say about that. And Johnny Depp presumably was cast before it turned out that he'd been beating Amber Heard up, and, and before he tried to smuggle animals into a strange. No, but that's the thing, as as you pointed out, this is all about someone who is smuggling strange beasts into a foreign land and trying to get away with it. And this would have, and he would have been cast after he tried to smuggle his dogs into Australia with Amber Heard as his accomplice at that point and they got caught and um, they did a worse job of it than they did it and they've got tons of money and it's like surely you could have done this legally <laughs> yes indeed um, and, and do you think do you think that was, do you think that, that happened around the time that they were looking to cast Grindelwald and Johnny Depp's name popped up in the news and they clicked on the story and like oh that's topical Johnny Depp should we just cast Johnny Depp yeah let's just cast Johnny Depp yeah let's just see if John is interested oh he's interested yeah it's um, oh, do you think people all... call him John I think they'll I think now they probably call him uh, the person who hit Amber Heard and really is not a very nice man and really should just go away for a bit yeah just go away bugger off Johnny Depp I was I don't know when he appeared as oh yeah he is in this film isn't he that's right and there he is look and always doing all of his weird hilarious mannerisms because he he's just a pantomime cow now he just just, at some point he was like okay Johnny um, you need to make a choice here you can commit really really hard to the craft and you know and you know and or, or you can trade any gravitas that you possess and credibility as an actor, and we'll just and we'll but we'll stick it under so much makeup. It's going to take people a while to notice. And I think so. Presumably, he is going to become over the because this is a, a five film series that's been announced by Warner's. And he was saying that David Yates has been cast as a, has been signed as a director in I all of them. So it's, I think. See, I'd read that it was it was going to be a different director for each one, which would gave me hope. But now let's have a. Let's have a look and see, but but the um, but it presumably so Johnny Depp is going to be the big bad and he's going to come back and um, yeah if it's David Yates for the second one it's going to be David Yates for all of them isn't it it's like why why this is like George Lucas directing all the Star Wars prequels it's like although he's a better director um, and there are two more of these <laughs> and there are two more of these and, and there like, are Star Wars prequels it's like I'm sorry but David Yates you need to look at other directors' films and basically learn how to make a film that is not anonymous and Johnny Depp you need to learn how to act again because uh, yeah he's going to be the big bad and across all these films and he's just going to you know, deliver a big thick slice of tasteless ham and it'll be like you could have had and we were talking about yeah, who would have been better actors to cast than Johnny Depp in this film and it basically we went through everyone then, and, then, and then got to ourselves and thought well actually <laughs> maybe there'd be something there would be, that would be more interesting than this because it's like I it's feel- like Jack Nicholson uh, in, in a certain point in his career you just 
just get Jack and you just get Johnny and it's like wouldn't it have been better if I feel what like some I, of the names that we were saying I don't know but I, I think I think either of us Jim, would... Jim Carrey was one of them if he if he promised to do like a proper performance and yeah and even, yeah Jim Carrey at the moment <laughs> Brian yeah not now because he's as fucking mad as Johnny Depp but um, Brian Cranston I would have happily have had that Joseph Gordon-Levitt you could have gone the other way and just had anyone other than pantomime cow slash wife beater Johnny Depp alleged wife beater and he hasn't he hasn't been convicted so actually he's not going to be listening to this wife beater Johnny Depp <laughs> well, he was on the um, wasn't it caught on camera when she was filming it and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he hasn't been convicted there's just that footage that seems to suggest there was something happening and also the photos of her face yeah, um, um, and yeah but that's fine Johnny you just keep abusive doing... Johnny Depp abusive Johnny Depp um, what else can we say about Johnny Depp that we don't like <laughs> he was good in Black Mass yes Black, he was Black yeah. Mass, even under all that makeup it was like you're giving a performance you're making acting choices this is a character thank you and now he then he did that and now he's done this not that this compares to that <laughs> no, it's no. Um, no, it doesn't, does it? But he, yeah, I just anyone other than Johnny Depp, really. He could become a decent person again, and also a good actor, and surprise us in the next film, which is out in 2018. He's got two years to not be an arsehole. Um, um, say what you like about Mel Gibson; he never forgot how to act. That's right. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Do you know what? <laughs> Schnell Gibson would be <laughs> um, alleged Schnell Gibson. <laughs> Although he did say that he keeps saying things about everyone who's not, you know, him. white, Catholic, or male. Um, but yes, he can do his job, and it is one of those things where it's like, no, just keep your mouth shut. And he, I think, would have been a more interesting Grindelwald than Johnny uh, Depp. So yeah, that's. That's Johnny assassinated. Who else is on our list? So we've had a go at the end. Eddie Redmayne and his mum. Um, all in good fun. I'm sure they're lovely people. And, um, and Johnny Depp, again, who isn't a lovely person, had a go at him. That's fine. And, and again, you know, he's he's got an Oscar, and he's just starred in a film that's going to be hugely successful. Yeah, so he's going to give him more money than we're going to if, see in in both our lifetimes combined for the next ten lifetimes. If you're So if, Mr. Redman, if you are listening to this <laughs> in, in some bizarre universe, um, we're, yeah, we're again, it's all meant in good fun, and thank you, thank you for listening. Thank I don't you. know, I, I don't know where you found time in your presumably very busy schedule, but we're honoured. Thank you. Yes, indeed. If thank you want you. to get in touch... Then um, that's fine, and uh, we trust that you have a wonderful sense of humour. Um, what other things do we want to half past one in the morning? I think we've covered it. I think I think have we though? I just think that there's well, poly juice potion or charm. Okay, yeah. There's a there's a character reveal in this um, that is essentially a, di- a diluted version of the Mad-Eye Moody revelation from Goblet of Fire when they discover that this mad, the person who's been pretending to be Professor Mad-Eye Moody is in fact Barty Crouch Jr. Played oh, by... Yes. by oh, so, so, and so you get the scene of uh, Brendan Gleeson transforming back into David Tennant. Yes. You know, snake-tongued <laughs> David Tennant. Um, and that's down to uh, he's been using a polyjuice potion, 
which is a potion that you know takes somebody's bit of somebody's hair and you you dose yourself and you look like them and you acquire their voice, and um, and in this, it's kind of there's a charm that's used, uh, a revealio charm, and I don't know if that works with Polyjuice Potion, um, or because presumably you know they've he can't have just you know. Char- the person can't just have charmed themselves into looking like even they're, they're a very powerful wizard but they can't just have charmed themselves because they're walking into magical congress every day and presumably there are some sort of wards to prevent against that you can't just go I look like this person now I'm going to walk straight in mm. and presumably there was a graves before they were replaced because either that or this person's been committing to a very long career or has had a somewhat meteoric rise which doesn't quite make meteoric rise doesn't make sense as a phrase because meteors don't rise they fall, they fall anyway yes. um, <laughs> yeah that just didn't make that that annoyed me as a Potter purist yes that's a that's a good point um, I was not thinking on that deep level about this film I have to admit I was thinking oh I thought this might be I had the impression that I was going to really enjoy this film and I have to admit I am not loving it not loving it it's just it's just happening in front of me and it's alright um, and I'll probably watch the next one and hopefully the next one everyone will just be I don't know a bit more ambitious this one seemed to be kind of treading water and just you know, going through the motions and but yeah Warner Brothers have a lot riding on this because they've had a pretty poor year in terms of you know, Batman versus Superman of course was um Shit, and also like an eight hundred million dollar flop. So that's the world we live in now. Um, Suicide Squad was not very good. It has to has to be said. We will watch the extended edition and talk about that. We will. Um, but uh, and I'm not entirely sure. Was that is that a flop or did that make its money or something? I mean, it's I like, don't actually know. No, me neither. But um, anyway, so they've got a lot riding on this because they've had a bit of a rough year in terms of their films not. It really hitting the audience, and this one will. It's I think it's a Harry Potter it's film. There's inoffensive, nothing, and you'll take the kids along, and there's enough going on with the little critters and big ones. Indeed, <laughs> yes, indeed, and the big ones, and um, and yeah. But I think that everyone will walk out, and I don't think they'll remember it. I don't think it's particularly memorable. Um, and I have to admit, I'm slightly disappointed in that sense that although I, there were there was lots in this that I thought I yeah I thought this yes is nice and it's fine and I'm kind of enjoying it. I mean, I thought it was going to be more with the first Harry Potter. I still remember the moving staircases in the main in the main hall and all the, those staircases shifting around. You know, apart from the, the logistics and the likelihood that child is going to topple off us, yeah, to, dude, he's going to drop fifty foot and onto onto cold hard stone because the staircase is where they're expecting it to be <laughs> yes. um, that you know that was that was a really magical moment I was you know for me as a kid like being 11 years old and being like oh wow they've, they've, they've done this thing that's really you know really magical yeah mm. and it just this film never quite achieved that again this might be because I'm now 15 years older and somewhat more cynical about the prospect um, I don't know no, no, I, I think you can you can still get Enchanted by a movie if it's done well. I mean, you know, you'll go back and watch the Disney Beauty and the Beast, and you'll still be swept up by it because um, it has a certain magic to it. I mean, I think there's a there's a scene in Chamber of Secrets. There's there's the Quidditch match. Well, no, is it a race? 
and they no 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 it is a it is a Quidditch match and I thought because the Quidditch match in the first Harry Potter film is they just hadn't got the effects to do it in the second one they really had and it was like the um, speeder bike chase when Return of the Jedi it was like wow they are just going so fast and this is so exciting and just really this has all been brought to life and then in the third Harry Potter film I just I think there's just yeah, a lot of magic in that film but I love the whole time travel element of it and that's just done really well even though it, just... it makes no sense it... no well it kind of does in a time travelling way if you, had, if, if you had enough time and enough energy, I mean, they they never set clear limits on it, or they didn't, no. you know, like if she just sat there turning that thing over and over and over, could they go back and stop Harry Potter, Harry's Potter, Harry's parents from being murdered? Yeah, but that's one of the things about that's one of the paradoxes of all time travel films. Why don't you just go back far enough that you can just stop any of this from happening at all? Well, also, like if you don't do very well, in your, why don't you just use it? You know, let's say you you get you do you sit an exam. And then you just turn it back, and then you go and sit the exam again, knowing what the questions are going to be. Well, in terms of that, I never... Because I think with magic, it's like, why are you doing anything normally? And why are you walking? Because presumably, you know, yeah, we know there's like a levitation spell. So why don't you just levitate everywhere? And why are you getting dressed? Why not just do what and Queenie what, does? And why are you getting the Hogwarts Express? Why aren't you just using using a, the chimney thing yeah, yeah kind of um, uh, the flu it's like yeah it's um, and the answer of course is because one it, that would be expensive but also two there has to be some kind of grounding of just people doing normal stuff or it would just and, oh, lose and, all and, of its magic and you've got to have the, the train crossing the countryside and that wonderful boarding school image and the castle hoving into view yeah and there's a yeah, and, also, and, yeah. and that's the thing that, that, that's, that's a that's a narrative conceit yeah that's that's yes. That's, there there are reasons. There are reasons, um, and there is a reason that this film exists because uh, Warner Brothers needs a franchise, and now they have one, and it's off to a um, a good enough start. A good enough start that I think they're not going to lose any. I think I don't think that the audience will feel shortchanged. I don't think that that they're going to feel bowled over either and I think that everyone will be looking to the next one to say right you've kind of laid your groundwork and now let's show us something yes indeed and so David Yates you have your challenge that was harsher than I thought it was going to be but it was but also fair I think I don't think we were mean apart from to Eddie and his mum and Johnny and Johnny but Johnny deserves it so that's fine and Eddie, if we if you could just stop doing the ticks and the traits of you know, looking under the eyes and stuff like that kind of because I can't remember who it is, but at least one director who's worked with you has said that you know you're you're an, you're astonishing. You're an actor. You're the, you're the, you're the actor of your generation, and the, you were absolutely wonderful in theory of everything, and you were very good in the Danish Girl. But you do seem to be falling into certain traps. Say, no, no, say, I was you know you're being told by two people who who watch a lot of films but never never done any yeah. Professional acting, <laughs> um, so, but yeah, if you just work on those things, I, 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 I enjoy your presence and stuff, and I would like to see you stretch yourself. Yes, indeed. Change the record, mate. Really, um, yes, so. stretch yourself. Just have an encounter. No, have an encounter with that writer. Yeah. <laughs> it will be interesting to see how much of this we keep. Um, okay, so Rob, thank you very much for jumping on to what is our latest podcast in every sense of the word as of recording this it is now 22 in the morning Jesus. Um, and 
what will be the next one? What's, what's our next podcast? There's a chance. When there's Rogue One next month, which is almost a month today, um, and there will be something. There's got to be something. It could even be that we do that JFK podcast we were talking about. Yes, that would be good. Um, all right, cool. Where we will leave you on tenterhooks, those who we haven't completely alienated with our. <laughs> character assassinations of Hollywood's greatest and finest but not Johnny Depp Um, and uh, so it's just left to uh, for me to say thank you very much as always and for me to say thank you very much as always and out there thank you very much as always